Welcome to another session of Explore the Bible series. We're continuing in the book of John, Gospel of John. This is lesson number 21. My name is Larry Bertrand. This lesson is scheduled for April 30th, 2023. So today we will see that Jesus is always in control and he is committed to the redemption of humanity. Our lesson passage for this week is John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. And the key verse is verse 11 of John 18. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So as we look at these verses, we'll notice Jesus's authority. We see it in the middle of his betrayal. We see it from Herod's verdict to murder male babies in Bethlehem, recorded in Matthew chapter 2. We see it uh, as the Jews plot to kill Jesus in Jerusalem. John chapter 5, we see it, we see Satan was determined to destroy the Messiah, but Jesus had other plans. We'll focus on understanding, helping us understand and grasp the fact that Jesus, as the divine Son of God, was in complete control of this threatening situation. <clears throat> so let's look at the background of uh, all of John chapter 18, 1 through 11. Uh, the, the event that led to Jesus' arrest was, uh, was set in motion well before the night, uh, that night in the garden. If you remember, Adam and Eve ate the forbid forbidden fruit and God told the serpent one was coming to destroy the works of sin and redeem humanity, a foretelling of the work of Jesus. We see also Jesus being arrested was part of the serpent's attempt to strike the Messiah's heel. We, we see that Satan was determined to destroy the Messiah, even when Jesus was an infant. He tried to destroy him. We can read about that in Matthew 2. Uh, there was a plot to kill Jesus as an adult uh, to gain momentum after he healed a man on the Sabbath in John chapter 5. Throughout his ministry, religious leaders attempted to capture or kill him. Even his own family thought he was crazy and tried to restrain him. His time, however, was not yet come. So in the upper room, Jesus acknowledged that his time finally had come. John chapter 17, verse 1. No man was going to take his life, though. He was going to give it willingly. And after ascending to the Mount of Olives, Jesus resorted to the Garden of Gethsemane for prayer. This is a normal part of his 
of his Jerusalem routine. But this night had a different feel. The heaviness of his impending death weighed on the group, especially Jesus. Familiar with this mountain retreat, Judas knew exactly where to bring the soldiers to arrest Jesus. John's gospel does not include Jesus' intense prayer that we can read in Matthew 26, verses 36 to 56. Instead, John focuses directly on the betrayer's approach. The torch-bearing mob shattered the peace even as they moved cautiously to seize the Lord. John also did not mention Judas's kiss. Still, Jesus knew exactly what was happening. He asked those in the mob who they were seeking, and they told him, Jesus firmly confessed, I am he. So the power of his presence and the authority of his manner uh, sent the crowd falling back. We'll see a little bit more about that in a minute. So when when he affirmed a, a second time that he was Jesus, the soldiers moved forward to take him. He did not try to flee or struggle. His earthly mission was about to be fulfilled. So at first, Jesus' disciples were not quick to give up. And we'll see what Peter does, and we'll see what's demonstrated as they arrest him. Jesus was used to crowds that recognized him in John chapter 18, though a crowd came looking for him for a different reason. <clears throat> they didn't recognize him at first, but that soon found, but they soon found that there was no one else like him. So let me highlight that in in the book book of John chapter 18. Uh, it moves the gospel into a new section, focusing on Jesus's suffering and Jesus's death. <clears throat> so let me ask you, where do you go when you need to prepare yourself for a, a stressful time? Is it a place early in the morning in your home where you go and find yourself? Is it a place away from your home? Working at Tallawood, I had two or three specific places I like to go just for prayer, just to get away. So Jesus had a place near Jerusalem where he would go to be alone with the Father. So known as Gethsemane, this was where Jesus took his disciples after the upper room. It's also where the mob found, found him. So let's look at chapter 18, verses 1, 2, and 3 as I read these verses. Listen, listen for the words 
describing where Jesus and his disciples had gone. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with the disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So what do you think the disciples were thinking as they walked with Jesus? Now remember, Judas is not with them. Judas had left the Passover meal earlier that night. He had gone to the religious leaders to plan how he would betray Jesus. And he knew exactly where to lead the crowd to find Jesus. So looking in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, we see in verse 1, Jesus left our, the room where the Last Supper with his disciples, and it says he crossed the Kidron Valley to the east. The Kidron Valley is a valley uh, or torrent bed which starts north of Jerusalem and passes between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives on the way to the Dead Sea. It's interesting that this exact location is where David, King David, was betrayed by a friend while crossing the Kidron Valley and going to the Mount of Olives. We see that uh, story in 2 Samuel chapter 15. So, to Jesus, uh, so too Jesus was betrayed by his trusted friend, Judas, while crossing the Kidron Valley and going to the Mount of Olives. The Olive Grove was a place where Jesus and his disciples came each night uh, to shelter when they were in Jerusalem. So during the festival times, which is what's going on, thousands of Jews flocked the holy city, and most of them had to stay in tents or some kind of temporary shelters. So in verse 2 and 3, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We see that in 1 Timothy 6, 10. So it is not surprising that Judas betrayed Jesus for money. Judas was uh, not a usual, uh, not an unusual monster, but a common man caught in a common sin. What was that sin? Judas had greed. In his heart. And Satan used his greed, his sin, to accomplish Satan's purpose with Jesus. And Judas knew the habits of Jesus and 
His deeds stand out in black contrast to Jesus' unselfish love. So we see that the soldiers, the officials from the chief priests and Pharisees, united in their hostility towards Jesus. The detachment of Roman soldiers was a, a cohort. Uh, it's probably a tenth of a legion, which here included about 600 men who were probably commanded to, to pick up this insurrectionist who claimed to be some kind of king. So what motivated Judas to betray Jesus? He may have been hoping Jesus would take the opportunity to finally lash out, take charge, and defeat these Jewish leaders. It was one thing to find Jesus. It was another thing to actually take him in, into custody. While Jesus would never oppose the Father's will, his enemies would come to experience his power and authority before all was said and done. So we look at the next section in our passage, John chapter 18, verses 4 through 9. There's a positive identification of Jesus. Uh, notice how the situation affirmed Christ's knowledge and power of what was going on. So Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, he said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. That must have been an interesting moment. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened. So the words he spoke would be fulfilled. He did. He, I have not lost one of these you gave me. That was fulfilled. So John records uh, several instances in his gospel where Jesus used I am to describe himself each time he was affirming his deity and each time his enemies understood exactly what he was claiming. That's why they wanted to kill him. Again, looking in the commentary study, Jesus was commissioned Chapter 18, verse 4, Jesus was, uh, excuse me, Jesus was conscious of all uh, the events coming on him. He was, 
He was not taken by surprise when this happened, but he was willing to voluntary sacrifice. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus was unwilling to be made a popular king. Uh, this scene is one of intense drama and irony. Judas came with soldiers and religious leaders. They came to take Jesus by force, but Jesus stood alone. The disciples had fallen asleep in that garden. And though unarmed, he was, Jesus was, in charge, in command. So in the darkness of the night, he could have fled as disciples would soon do uh, in a moment, but instead he gave himself up. Verse 5 and six it, 6, it says, His words, I am he, literally, I am, startled them, and Scripture says they fell backward to the ground, uh, struck no doubt by the majesty of his words. The phrase I am is ambiguous and could refer to Jesus' deity or it may simply have been Jesus' way of identifying himself. I am the one you're looking for. In verse 7 through 9, as the good shepherd, Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. We read that in John 10, 11. His protection of the apostles was uh, a perfect illustration of his substitutionary atonement. He died not only for them, but instead of them. So as a good shepherd, he did not lose any of his sheep but fulfilled his father's will for the apostles and fulfilled his own prophetic word. After Jesus, after Jesus identifies himself, <clears throat> what happened to the crowd? So let me emphasize <laughs> the falling to the ground was really a demonstration of his power and authority when he said, I am, it just boom, literally threw them falling backwards. So what, what order did Jesus give them in verse nine? Uh, I want to point out that pris prisoners were rarely in a position <laughs> to negotiate. So if you were about to become a prisoner of the Roman guard, you can't tell them so. But so he commands them to let his disciples go. He makes these demands, even though he was vastly outnumbered by the hundreds, Jesus was still in control. Looking at verse 10 and 11, it identifies Peter's rash reaction to Jesus' response. <clears throat> then Simon Peter, verse 10, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest, severing or cutting off his right ear. 
The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So I want to emphasize that Jesus had, had already shown that those who came to arrest him were powerless against his word. And so let me point out that he, he could have called, as the song goes, 10,000 angels, legions of angels, to come to his aid, his rescue, but he didn't. So we see in verse 10, Peter's sword was likely a, a Roman short sword, a gladius that could be hidden under a person's garment, and the sword was uh, <clears throat> for stabbing, really not for slicing. So Peter probably intended to kill the soldier uh, with a lethal blow to his head, but the servant was able to evade the sword and suffered only the loss of his ear. So Luke, in his account of this story, adds that Jesus immediately healed the ear, put it back on, and it healed. So that name, Malchus, uh, uh, is recorded in John's Gospel. It's also recorded in the historian Josephus's writings. Uh, likely it was an Arab name. Verse 11, you see that phrase, drink the cup, serves as a metaphor for death and symbolizes God's wrath. Note, the cup given to Jesus is from the Father. And hence, Jesus is prepared to drink it. In addition to the physical suffering of the cross, Jesus suffered the agony of bearing God's wrath, which was poured out on him as a substitute sacrifice for the sin of man. So in payment for sins, it says Jesus was willing to drink that cup. So let me emphasize that Jesus was committed to the cup that his father gave him to drink. The cup was his suffering. The cup was his death. And he wasn't about to shrink back from it now. So as we conclude, Jesus surrendered to the crowd of soldiers. He did so on his terms. He was in complete control the whole time. He's still, he's still in control of every situation we face, even at this very moment. That should help us stand strong, even when things feel out of control and in our world that we live in. So the great applications for today's lesson is number one, believers can expect enemies of Jesus to use maximum force 
against him. Number two, believers can confidently face life knowing that, confidently face life knowing that Jesus is in charge. He's always in charge. And finally, believers can obediently involve themselves in God's redemptive plan, willing to follow him. So as we close, uh, think of a difficult situation, maybe right now that you're facing in your life. Ask God for his guidance in the times that you're facing. Ask for the strength to remain faithful. Ask God to remind you that he is in control of every situation. <clears throat> I close with a wonderful hymn written in 1959 by Audrey Muir. Uh, as I read the words to this hymn, his name is Wonderful. Uh, it, it attributes many names to Jesus. <clears throat> Probably the scripture that inspired this, this hymn was Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So hear the words. His name is Wonderful. His name is Wonderful. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King, master of everything. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages. Almighty God is he. Bow down before him, love and adore him. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. His name is wonderful, his name is wonderful. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. Bow down before him, love and adore him. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages. Almighty God is he. Bow down before him, love and adore him. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. And then uh, skipping down, he's the mighty King, master of everything. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord, my Lord. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. Pray with me. We rejoice in the name of Jesus. A simple name that makes all a difference in our lives today. We call on your name, dear Jesus. We know that just as you were in control and in charge on that night that you were betrayed, you were in charge of all things. We yield to you, we trust in you. In your name we pray, 